Hello, this is Dr. Christopher Perrin, and welcome to this episode of The Christopher Perrin Show. This is a podcast episode that is a part of the TrueNorth.fm podcast network. In this particular episode, I'd like to talk about an important virtue as it relates to education and to teaching and learning, therefore. And it's temperance, or in Latin, temperancia. I hope to write an article about this on my Substack uh, column, so you can you can check that out in a, a week or so at ChristopherPerrin.substack.com. Temperance is something is one of the four cardinal virtues, isn't it? You've probably heard this that there were four hinge virtues in the tradition that describe what it means to be fully humanized. So if you had these four virtues, the classical tradition would regard you to have been mature, morally mature, and they were prudence, justice, courage, and temperance. And sometimes courage is called fortitude. In Latin, it's temperancia, and the Greek equivalent would be sophrosune. And both of these words have um, a, a, a connotation of moderation, and control, particularly controlling our inner selves to control, say, our emotions and our passions. And, you know, in this moral tradition, there are times in which you need to be spurred to do something that maybe you're hesitant to do. Um, courage would be an example of that. Sometimes we need to be spurred forward to be brave and courageous. But oftentimes, we need to be reined in. We need to be pulled back. And this gets to temperancia, curbing our passions, curbing our inner disposition, having it properly moderated. Well, in fact, temperance is often personified as a woman pouring water into a wine chalice. Uh, why? Well, to get the proper blend, and in the medieval period, uh, wine to drink wine straight would be it would be too strong, and it needed to be cut with some water, and you'd want to pour the right amount in. If you, you you pour the right amount in, and it's that's a good cup of wine. If you pour too much, you dilute it, and it's a weak wine, and it's not so good. So we temper the wine, but uh, temperance was also uh, personified. Uh, as a woman holding reins, uh, pulling back on the horse to keep it from galloping away. Temperancia. In fact, Paul uses a similar word in 1 Corinthians 12 when he says that the body has been tempered. Uh, the, the corpus has been tempered so that all of its parts work together in a kind of harmony. When Paul describes the church as being one body with many parts, that those parts of which that work together in a kind of harmony. Well, it's a good illustration, and we can think about it with our own physical body. There's a kind of harmony and symmetry to our physical bodies, uh, two hands and two eyes and legs, and I have two ears and two lungs, and it's pretty amazing how our body is a kind of harmony and symmetry. Well, that kind of beauty and harmony should describe our inner lives. And when we are intemperate or 
unchaste because becoming unchaste is the one of the main ways that humans in their inner selves become disordered. Well, when we become disordered, when we become controlled by our passions, this has an effect, don't you know, on our ability to learn, <laughs> our ability to be a student, to study, to meditate, to contemplate, to know things. Our understanding is compromised and corrupted when our passions blind us and lead us. So we need temperance. Students need temperance, and they can become intemperate in various ways. One way that students become intemperate is to become lazy, to not do what they know they can do and should do, and to maybe because of they're afflicted by other things too, like acedia, which is a kind of depression, boredom, uh, idleness, and lack of care, not responding to the demands of God's love. Because when God loves a person, you are prompted and inspired to love your neighbor and to serve, which would mean to study. <laughs> uh, and so laziness can sometimes be a form of acedia. It can sometimes be uh, just a, a form of intemperance where we 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 don't do what we know that we could and should do. We've seen this in students, haven't we? We've seen it in ourselves, right? But there's another way that students can become intemperate in regards to their studies. They can become excessively ambitious and try to accelerate learning beyond which they're really ready. You know, this is a student who wants to do calculus when he's 12 or wants to try to read Dante when he's 12. Uh, there is a time for Dante, and there's a time for calculus, but we need to master each step as we go and not jump vainly beyond. Just because we might be able to do it to some degree does not mean we should be jumping into Dante when we're 12. We need a guide to go through the Inferno and through the, uh, the Purgatorio. <laughs> if Dante needed a guide, which was Virgil, we need a guide to read Dante. So those are some ways in which we can become intemperate as, as students. But there are, there are other ways. One is curiositas in the, in the Latin. Curiositas was a kind of vain desire to study things for their novelty and to go to places that we really shouldn't go. It's like vain ambition, like Odysseus sailing forth with his sailors uh, to places he shouldn't go because he was just interested in forbidden knowledge, to know and experience, to go where no man has gone before in a vain kind of way. So curiositas, yes, we get the word curiosity from this, and there can be a healthy curiosity in English, but in Latin, curiositas was considered to be a vice. It was seeking things before you should seek them, going after knowledge that really is forbidden to you, that would not be helpful to you at the time, if ever. Its corresponding virtue was studiositas or studium, and that was a healthy, proper, ordered zeal and eagerness for something true, good, and beautiful. So to be tempered as a student, you would want to be led by a good teacher in zeal for the truth, goodness, and beauty. A love of novelty is also a form of the intemperateness uh, or curiositas. You know, the, the student always wants the latest, the newest, the coolest little thing. 
but isn't studying in a good sequence and order those things which he ought to study and know. This is a student who might be dabbling in things that may be of interest, but aren't the things that should be studied at the time. But yet there is another important way in which students can become intemperate. And this is talked about, by the way, very well by Joseph Pieper. And for those of you listening, I'm holding up a book called The Four Cardinal Virtues by Joseph Pieper. And he's doing, he does a great job summarizing the tradition of the four cardinal virtues, which are called cardinal virtues because, well, they're hinge virtues. Your, your life hinges on these virtues. And cardo cardinalis means hinge. These are hinge virtues. But back is another common way that students are led to be intemperate. And it's through what Pieper would call unchastity in the Latin libido. This is when our passions and desires uh, rise up and take us over, such that we can't or unable or choose not to curb them. So think about this. When we start willing to pleasure and when some kind of objective pleasure becomes our focus, a pleasure that we shouldn't be seeking at the time, it can blind us and lead us astray and and take us away from from uh, the ability to understand and focus and grow. Uh, Aquinas says that there's an aspect to chastity which this uh, proper moderation of our passions which he calls the quies animi, uh, a quietness of spirit, a serenity of spirit when our inner selves are not distracted and agitated to be pursuing uh, unchaste passions. Well, think about the way that students are distracted when their passions rise up and take over, uh, particularly uh, sexual passions, the libido. This is a problem for for students who get caught in the web of their libido, they can't learn as easily. And let me just read to you a passage or two right out of Pieper as he comments on this. He says first, whoever fixes his eyes upon himself gives no light. Temperance is a selfless self-preservation. It's kind of a selfless self-love in which you care enough about your inner disposition, loving yourself properly that not out of selfishness, but out of a desire to serve, to know, to grow, you curb your passions. You put up barriers and fences. He says, most difficult to grasp is the fact that it is indeed the essential human self that is capable of throwing itself into disorder to the point of self-destruction. So, Yes, our passions can disorder us and actually destroy us as a moral person. And he points out that in the Christian classical tradition, what's going to give power to us to curb our passions and to be selfless is not just the love of self, but it's the love of self that's informed by that greater love for God, loving God chiefly, that orders even our love for self. And so, for our inner selves and our passions to be ordered, we must love the God who is love, a selfless self-love. Isn't that great? He goes on to talk about 
um, the fact that the discipline of temperance can't be realized, therefore, with a view to man alone or ourselves alone. Well, then he speaks about how temperance, therefore, is ordering reality in the province of sexuality. Yes, we are sexual beings. Yes, we have sexual desires. But ordering those properly is important for the life of the student. To have that proper eagerness to know that which is true, we have to order our sexual desires. So this is something that I think in classical Christian schools is something that needs to be talked about. It's something that we can't ignore. It's something that, of course, is really important. So how do we model this kind of temperance and chastity among students and among, um, in our classes? Well, I think talking about this moral tradition is important. Uh, talking about the goodness of sexuality and the goodness of sexual desire properly ordered so that in the right times and the right ways, it finds itself and is ordered and enjoyed. It is wrong, I think, to kind of talk about sexual desire as something that is just bad that you should try to ignore. In fact, Aquinas in this tradition says, it is a, a great good. And to talk about it as something that is not a good is to corrupt something that God has given us that is in fact very good. In fact, he says, and it's kind of quite plain, but the, the propagation of the human race is related to this desire that God has given us. And so it's a good thing. It's a wholesome thing. Uh, I'll quote people for you. Temperance is like the banks of a river, a channel from, who, from, from which the solidity of the stream receives the gift of straight, unhindered course of force, descent, and velocity. So putting desire like water between the banks of a river channels it and courses it and helps it to grow. Temperancia, sofrusune, harmony of soul. Temperance is that cardinal virtue that applies to all areas of life, where we learn to properly harmonize, curb, and spur. And it's necessary for temperance to be one of the virtues that students acquire if they're going to be able to study without distraction, with great focus, and with great love. I'll close with just a comment about focus. The word focus is helpful because in Latin, focus means hearth. Or fireplace. And so, you know, on a cold winter's night here in central Pennsylvania, to start a fire uh, in a fireplace will bring people together. They'll gather around the crackling fire, and conversation will ensue, and the dog will fall asleep. Books can be read. Great conversation and commentary can follow, and good tea, coffee, or wine can be served, but the, the fireplace focuses, and students need a focus. They need a burning, roaring, crackling fire to gather around that will naturally attract them, 
and will therefore keep them from being distracted by curiositas, by novelties, and by pleasures that they ought not to seek, including the sexual pleasures. But what they need is not just to hear the word no, don't do that. They need to see the good thing that you can say yes to, that burning fire that they can gather around, some embodiment of the true, the good, and the beautiful, modeled by teachers, family, and friends, and classmates, and embodied in some great work of literature, some great idea, whether it's mathematics, whether it's grammar, whether it's an argument, whether it's some great story, these things become the foci around which we will naturally gather that will bless us, that will help us to grow in virtue and to do it with friends. Well, I hope that's edifying to you and helpful, and I want to thank you for viewing or watching. This is another episode of The Christopher Perrin Show. You can also read what I'm writing about these matters at christopherperrin.substack.com. And thanks again for being with me.